You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And so verse 27 then, and this is significant, this is what this message is all about, is a lesson concerning God's ability to keep and prosper His people when others are not flourishing. It is a lesson calling us to be strong in faith in those trying times. And God knows there's a lot of them. And as I've already mentioned, we're not exempt from trouble just because we've given our lives to Christ. Christians are not immune to difficulty. Far from it, in fact. We're actually promised that life will become more difficult when we try to live for Christ. In today's message, Pastor Mike explains that God demonstrates and tests the faith of His followers this way. It's not easy to believe in a just God if one of His followers has trouble while the other doesn't, right? Well, which of the two does God love more? Neither right? God never gives anyone a struggle they can't handle. So don't lose your trust in Him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 47 as he continues his message, Blessings in the Most Unexpected Places. Think about it. Sin always shuts down the work that God wants to do in an individual's life. And and by the way, I think I I ought to just take some time out to to, uh, uh, ask you this uh, question. Has sins of omission in your own life stopped you from experiencing God's best? Remember, God had instructed the animals and then the first man and woman, to be fruitful and multiply. That's what God wants for his kids. That's what God wants for that which he has created. And the only thing that would stand in the way of that taking place is sins of omission. You know, the choices that we make, you see. Because sin does separate us from God and the work that God wants to do within our lives. He wants to bless you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to protect you. All of the things that we're talking about this morning. And you're your worst enemy because you've chosen the sin. It's the sin factor. Sin enters in and thwarts the purposes of God. So let me ask you this question uh, once again. Has sins of omission in your life stopped you from experiencing God's best? Think about it. Where are you right now? Could things be so much better than they actually are? You know, if you would have just finally gotten together with God's program and just completely surrendered your life, 
You know, we, but we do just the opposite. We're holding on to the things of the world or, you know, our, our favorite or our pet sins. And we think that, oh, man, these things, they bring us so much satisfaction. And, you know, God, you're just going to have to, uh, you know, uh, we'll give you 80% of our lives. But that other 20% we're going to hang on to. And we think we're doing ourselves a favor, but the truth of the matter is we're just working against ourselves. God has so much more for us, something that's so much better, you know? So don't allow sin. Deal with sin within your lives. Experience God's blessing uh, to its full. So think about it now. The race increased, but the culture that resulted was godless. They considered themselves sophisticated, industrious, but they were violent. They were indulgent. And the truth of the matter was, fewer would have been better. Now, how do we know this? Well, this was a judgment that God made himself by sending the flood. He says, enough is enough. The stench of the people's sin came up before God as a remembrance, and he was going to wipe them out and do a completely new thing altogether. You see, the human race, rather than ruling over creation, right, it was given, you know, uh, God, after creating the physical universe, he he told them to, uh, you know, use it for their advantage. Take advantage of all of the uh, creation all that I had created. It was for good. But the human race, rather than ruling over creation, began to abuse it. They actually, if you think about it, began to rape it. They began to worship creation rather than the God who made it. They worship creation rather than the creator. Listen, a decrease in idolaters would have been better. So, again, the instruction by God. Be fruitful and multiply. So think about that. You know, I think really Satan was winning the struggle for world dominion here early on in the history of mankind. I mean, think about the flood. Only eight people were able to enter the ark. Who were they? Noah, his wife, the three sons, and their wives. Where's this whole thing? Be fruitful and multiply. There's only eight people left, right, on the face of the earth. It, you know, it just seems like the people of God would soon perish off of the face of the earth. But God is so faithful. God continued to make this promise to his people. Like, for example, Abraham. When Abraham was 99, he appeared to him in chapter 17. Remember in one of our past studies, we read about this in verses 2 and then 6. Uh, in chapter 17, he changed his name from Abram to what? Abraham, which indicated that he would be the father of many nations. Abraham, be fruitful and multiply. And then later on, he appeared to Isaac. When, remember, there was another famine in the land. And remember, Isaac and his family went down to the land of the Philistines in Gerar, You can read about it in uh, Genesis chapter 26 in verse 4. And then God spoke to Isaac and told him that he was going to bless him and he was going to multiply him. Later on, Jacob, as he is fleeing for his life from his brother Esau, 
Remember, because he ripped off his brother Esau's birthright. And as he's traveling to his uncle Laban's home, right, he stops one night there in uh, Bethel. And remember, he dreams the dream out there in the middle of the desert, which is known as Jacob's Ladder. He sees this ladder uh, that reaches from the earth into the heavens and the angels of God ascending and descending upon it, which is actually a type of Christ uh, there in the uh, Old Testament. And so he speaks to Jacob and he promises Jacob that he's going to multiply him, that he's going to bless him, that his life is going to be fruitful in chapter 28 in verse 14. But now think about that since then, It's been a lot of years that have passed. And now here's the question. Jacob, are you going to believe God? Remember, again, as I mentioned before, when he goes down, there's only 100 people there with him. Jacob, are you going to believe God? Well, notice in verse 27, we have the first historical fulfillment of that promise. God was going to make good on his promise. What God made good on his promise to Jacob is the very same thing that he will make good on the promises that he's made to you. That your life will be fruitful, that your lives will be rich, that you're, and I'm not talking about prosperity here, you know. I'm just talking about God will provide for all of your needs, all of the things that are, that are necessary. You'll, you'll have an experience of joy unspeakable, like for example, and a peace that passes understanding. <laughs> Those are the things that you can't attach a dollar and cents value to. Anyway, these are things that money can't buy. If you have those kinds of things, folks, you got it all. Think about it, how rich you actually are. So we have the growth of a people who, while they are in Egypt, become numerous enough to later to conquer and possess the promised land after the exodus. Remember, led out by Moses. And then finally, they cross over. They possess the land of Canaan, and they drive out all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. And so verse 27 then, and this is significant, this is what this message is all about, is a lesson concerning God's ability to keep and prosper his people when others are not flourishing. It is a lesson calling us to be strong in faith in those trying Times. And God knows there's a lot of them. And as I've already mentioned, we're not exempt from trouble just because we've given our lives to Christ. Right? And uh, in fact, sometimes there's more trouble involved because we've made a decision for Christ and we run up against all sorts of and forms of antagonistic responses from people. And, uh, but that just goes with the territory. I mean, Jesus himself came up against those sorts of things during his earthly ministry. So we shouldn't be surprised uh, when we are as uh, well. But nevertheless, God will sustain us during those difficult uh, times. It is a lesson to be strong in faith during those times. So just hang in there. Know that God is at work, that he is allowing or not allowing those things to come into our lives on the basis of a plan a very carefully calculated plan. And whatever that may be, it is for our good. When the fulfillment is delayed, when you're waiting, 
and you're still going through that time of trouble and you're saying, okay, Lord, I'm waiting, I'm hanging in there, I'm believing you, I'm standing on the word, but I don't see the fulfillment of that promise. Like, for example, everything we put our hand to will prosper. You know, I think about that wonderful promise in the first uh, of the uh, Psalms, in the book of Psalms, in chapter, right, uh, in chapter one, where we are told whatsoever we do uh, shall prosper as it relates to those who are children of God. Whatsoever we do, what a broad promise that is. Whatsoever we do, whatever we put our hand to, whether it's business or family or ministry or, you know, what a, what a, what a wonderful promise. Whatever we do, whatever we put our hand to, will prosper. Okay, so I'm waiting, God. Where's the fulfillment of the promise? I'm still struggling here. Things haven't changed all that much, right? Hey, don't freak out. Remember, God is faithful. He is able to provide. He is able to sustain. He is able to turn things around no matter what. I mean, look at the conditions that Israel is under at this particular time. You know, if you were God, think about this. Put yourself in God's shoes for a moment, which I really don't suggest that you do. Uh, but think about it. If you were God, how would you have gone about sustaining Israel during the time of famine? Would you have done it down in Egypt? I mean, come on. I mean, that isn't the most likely place, you know, to do the work that needs to be done. But it just goes to show you, and Isaiah reminds, this, uh, reminds us about this very thing in his book, in Isaiah 55, in verses 8 and 9, that God's ways are not our ways. His ways are so far beyond our ways. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. So, I mean, if you were God, would you have prospered Israel down there in Egypt? Where would you prosper a people so that they be, could become a great nation, providing a place for them to grow? In Egypt? I don't think so. I mean, later on, remember, they're, they're going to be placed into bondage. You know, the Bible tells us that a new pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph. We're going to get to that in one of our future studies. And therein, you know, made all the difference in the world. The next pharaoh didn't know Joseph at all. And, uh, and because of the fact that Israel grew to such a great number of people, Egypt was actually frightened of them taking over. And so what did they do? They placed them under bondage. But we'll save that for another study. But we'll get into that as we continue our series and the progression of our series uh, here in the book of Genesis. Listen, for 215 years... The patriarchs, now think about this. They lived in the land of Canaan, Abraham, Isaac, and in Jacob. All in all, 215 years, the patriarchs lived in the land of Canaan. And during that time, the clan only grew to about 100 people. Only 100 people in 215 years. So, you know, ideal conditions there in Canaan? Well, I don't know about that. Yet, it, it would seem as if it would have been better there than it would have been in Egypt, and yet growth was slow in Canaan. But 
bring them to Egypt, the time of great persecution, and growth was rapid. In Egypt, they increased to at least a number of two million. But folks, this is what we need to take away from this. This is God's way. And it's seen not only in numerical growth, but in spiritual growth as well. You say, what am I talking about? Well, in those times of stress and great difficulty and problems and our struggles, it's during those times when God uses those circumstances to shape us, to mold us, to purify us, to cleanse us, to help us to become the kinds of men and women that he wants us to become. Isn't that true? You know, throw a little trouble at us, and it has the tendency of just drawing us closer to God, to seek him. Isn't that true? You know, when everything is just falling into place, happening the way that we hoped it would, and and, uh, everything's going according to our timetables and our plans, you know, often, I, I don't suggest that this happens all of the time, but we have a tendency to forget God. And I think there is an inclination of us to actually forget God, you know, move further away, because we don't need God. But a little trouble, man, we're on our face. Oh, God, help me here, you know. We're seeking him for answers in the word. We come out to a service like this one so that God can speak to us, and that's a good thing, but we shouldn't wait until... You know, things get so bad that we come to, we should be here regularly so that we don't fall. We make the wrong choices and decisions and that lead to those kinds of circumstances within our our lives. So ideal conditions in Canaan, well, I don't know about that. You know, I'll give you an example of this. The church in China serves up a real classical example of this. During the so-called missionary period, they were peaceful years. Uh, during the time that Christianity took hold throughout China. And during which time, during that period of time known as the missionary years, it was estimated that revival had taken place and some 840,000 Chinese individuals had come to Christ. But then the communists took over in 1950. And that was followed... uh, by ideal conditions? I don't think so. Because decade later, approximately there were then 50 million Christians. So in comparison, 845,000 Christians in China during the missionary years. It was a peaceful time. The communists take over in 1950. They are extremely antagonistic towards Christianity. The Chinese are put under great persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. And decades later, instead of 845,000, there are now 50 million Christians. Why is that? How do you explain that? Well, they were growing by leaps and bounds. Why? Because they were suffering for Jesus' sake. And these Chinese believers learn that suffering is central to maturity and growth in their walk and their relationship with Jesus Christ. What do, we, what do we learn from all of this? Well, maybe we could use a good dose of this very same thing right here in the United States of America. Maybe the church has become too materialistic. Maybe the church today has become too indulgent. Our focus is on the wrong 
thing. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, just keep it straight. You know, keep your priorities in order. You know, God doesn't have to bring persecution into our lives or trouble to get our attention, right? Make it easy on yourself. When you're instructed in the Word, just give yourself to that instruction. But God will use whatever he, he must use to get our attention, to keep us in the place where he, he can bless us, you see, that the church might become the bride, um, the people that he wants us to become. But here's the question. Is our, let's bring this down to personal terms. Think about yourself now. Don't think of the church in general or as a whole. Let's just think about our own Christian experience. Is our Christianity become stagnant? Are we just Christians in name only? You know, just doing our due. We're here today just kind of out of a sense of duty because it's Sunday and Christians go to church on Sunday. Has our Christianity become stagnant? Has it become artificial? Do we have any impact on the world around us? Hey, listen, you know what? Maybe we need to be harassed by the Lord. I don't know. Maybe we need to pay a price for our faith. And you know what? If that happens, guess what? It's not a bad thing. It could have a purifying effect upon us. It could strengthen our commitment to Jesus, and it could cause us to be fruitful and to multiply. You know, Jonathan Cho of the Chinese Church Resource Center in Hong Kong wrote, and I quote, an American student came to the research center in Hong Kong before he left America. A Christian friend had asked him if God loves the Chinese church so much, why did he allow so much suffering to come upon it? The young man had no answers to that question. But then he traveled to China himself and had personal fellowship with Christians who had gone through suffering and were still zealously doing the work of evangelism. This completely changed his life. I now have the answer to my friend's question, he told Mr. Chow. I am going back to America and ask him this question. If God loves the American churches so much, why hasn't he allowed us to suffer as he did the church in China so that our faith might be strengthened, our lives purged, and our relationship with Christ deepened to serve him wholeheartedly. Listen, gang, our Christianity, like Israel in Egypt, is not something that requires ideal conditions to survive and to flourish. In fact, it thrives best in hardship. For as the scripture declares, in our hardships, God's strength, is made perfect in weakness. And godliness springs like a root from a dry ground. Certainly something to think about. In my father's house There's a place for me In my father's house Where I long been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. 
We have so much available to you there, including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house with you.